Hey everyone, I'm Katherine Lawson, and this is the Longleaf Pod, where I talk to people who are adding value to communities across North Carolina. This episode, I'm talking with Jamie Lathan, the Dean of Distance Education at the North Carolina School of Science and Math. I think you'll enjoy hearing about his background, his belief in the value of shared stories, and his vision for bringing quality education to students throughout our state. Enjoy the show. Jamie, thank you so much for being with me today to talk. Um, Jamie, you are the Dean of Distance Education at the North Carolina School of Science and Math. Uh, So we're just going to have some time talking Mm. about your background and what that is and what it means and what you want people to understand about it. So to get us started, um, tell me about what, like, how did you end up in education in general? Catherine, thank you so much for interviewing me and, and I think that's a that's a good question because I none of my uh, immediate relatives are educators. In fact, I went to a I went to a specialized school in South Carolina, uh, similar to the one uh, to the North Carolina School of Science and Math. It was called the South Carolina Governor School of Science and Math. And after graduating from there, I thought I wanted to be an engineer like my father. My father is a civil engineer, and uh, he construct roads and build bridges. And I really like to do that. And so I thought, this is, this is where I'm going. And I actually had a change of, a, a bit of a change in my mind uh, as I was applying to colleges. And I, I fell in love with architecture and I, because I really like to draw. Mm-hmm. And I applied to schools of architecture and got into one and, and really thought, this is, this is it. Um, my first semester happened and I said, no, this is not it. Um, I, <laughs> it was, it was a, I did well academically in my courses. I just, just was not what I thought it was going to be. I also, I did a, an externship, which I, I basically spent a week in an architectural firm, uh, uh, shadowing an architect and it just was not really appealing to me. And so, at that point, I decided that I needed to sort of step back and really take an inventory of, of the things that I like to do and, and, and what I had done up for the first you know, 18 years of my life uh, and sort of where it seemed like my talents kind of uh, was sort of pointing towards in terms of a career or a vocation. And after doing that, I realized, man, I've worked a lot of summer camps. I've worked a lot of like, been the Sunday school teacher for Bible camps and other things like that. And, and a lot of leadership camps. And like, huh, I think I like working with young people. Uh, do I want to be a coach? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, and then I, I took a really great uh, U.S. history class, um, uh, the history of the United States. Before or up until Reconstruction and just really enjoyed it and Hmm. And fell in love with reading history, and and was at at that point probably my, the summer of my second year in college that I decided that I wanted to to be a teacher, hmm. uh, and just had I've I've had great role models as teachers throughout my my life, even now, uh, and I I felt like it was it was definitely a a calling. 
Um, and education, while I, I will say that my, my parents and some people that were close to me were somewhat disappointed uh, because they thought, oh, well, you're going to be, you did well in school. You're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And when I mentioned teaching, there was, there was just some, some disappointment that came uh, from them. But I say that it's been really a, a remarkable journey. Like the people that, that were initially disappointed are now huge fans and are now supportive. And um, it's been um, just that, that sense of, uh, giving back in some ways, uh, I, I, or or paying it forward, uh, I, I feel that you know daily as I as I step into my classroom and do the work that I feel like I'm called to do. So long answer, but education is is was sort of in my in my blood early on, not from relatives, but just from from life experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that answer. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think that it so perfectly exemplifies how stories, like the stories that we tell ourselves and that we live and experience are the stories of how we end up in certain places, you know, even if it's Mm -hmm. unexpected, kind of looking back, there's often you can kind of filter out like, oh, look, there was this consistent thread. And for you, that thread of mentorship, of working with young people and finding a place that ended up culminating in this yes. profession of teaching. Yeah. So that, that history class that you took in college, what, what made it jump out to you so much? Was it the class itself or was it more the professor? Like what, why did that kind of embed itself in your head so much and kind of spark that notion of like, I could do this. I could teach. Yeah. It, w- it was a professor one. It was stories that were told. Uh, and so, and this particular professor was a brilliant storyteller. Uh, and he absolutely knew the scholarship was a was a scholar had written some of the books that we were required to read and but he in the in the way that he framed historical moments not as events or actions that were inevitable but that mm-hmm. but as stories that were contingent upon these small decisions being made or choices that individual actors made that that mm-hmm. led to kind of these events happening. And so just, I, I never thought of, or I'd never experienced history being framed in that way. And it was just, yeah, I, I think I just fell in love and wanted to read more and, and study more and, and think more about not only the, the stories that I had, had known and been told, but some of the stories that I, I, I didn't know um, or had not been told. And so all of that kind of happened at the same time. So the framing of familiar stories in a new way happened. But then an, another class that I took kind of opened my eyes to some of the stories that are not told and the stories mm-hmm. that don't make the textbook. And, and so my interest was definitely piqued. I wanted to read more and learn more and, and, and then share and share that with other people. That's awesome. So how so how does that experience of learning not just about how you can tell history in terms of individual actors and their stories and their decisions, but also learning about you know stories that aren't told, stories that are written out of our history that are uncomfortable or painful. How do you handle that in the classroom yourself when you're teaching history to you know to high, to high school students to, to teenagers? 
And I think for me, it's reminding them that they also are actors in a story that's being told and and trying to connect them to their own family history, to their own uh, community's history and regional histories and state history even. Uh, so having the privilege uh, to teach students from all over the state of North Carolina, I can connect these students to their to where they're, they're from, to their local high schools, to their to their communities. And, and, and I know that like North Carolina being in this, in this state is so rich and, yeah. and, a, and a lot of histories, uh, be it colonial history, African-American history, uh, Latin American history. I mean, it's just rich in, in history and, and connecting students to that has been uh, so rewarding for me. And inevitably, like when they get connected to their, to their place in the historical narrative, Mm-hmm. their own narrative becomes visible when it when it may have been sort of invisible and then they and then they start to see some of the other narratives that aren't necessarily as visible or as mainstream as other narratives and so emphasizing the role that they play and emphasizing kind of that they aren't their their stories aren't marginalized and it helps me the introduction mm-hmm. to other marginalized stories to the traditional kind of narrative that's out there. I'm so curious how that works, especially when you're doing long distance education with students scattered all over the state. But before, before the, like how that impacts the teaching itself, I'm curious, talk me through some of the, what are the, some of the mechanics of kind of distance education when somebody says that, you know, they're the Dean of, of distance education at a school what is the administrative side of that? What does that mean for in terms of your job description? So I was very fortunate to work at this school because this school has been on the forefront of technology integration and distance education uh, since its beginning in 1980. I mean, it started a distance education program in 1992, uh, which is very early oh, wow. for high school to start this type of uh, yeah. uh, educating students across the state through this medium. And so with our with distance education now, we have the traditional sort of interactive video conferencing. And I, I call it traditional because this was one of the oldest models of distance education in uh, that we've been doing at this school uh, is through the video conferencing and through uh, the North Carolina Information Highway, we're able to connect our live teaching of advanced honors level, AP level courses we teach out to classrooms across the state of North Carolina. And so we work with the, the group that offers the North Carolina Information Highway. We work with them. We work with the local schools to put students into these courses and mm. through through that. So that's that's our, our longest means of distance education. Uh, like I said, we've been doing it since mm. 1992, but we have other options now. Since 2008, we started an online program. And so this program, we offer courses asynchronously. Uh, so the, the IVC program synchronous. Okay. So it's live, it's two-way, it's, um, it's synchronous interaction between our teachers, our content experts, and the students out across the state of North Carolina. The online program is asynchronous, meaning that we build these online courses and we invite students to apply to our two-year supplementary online program. 
And when, once they get into the program, if they're admitted, they are then given the opportunity to take one to two of our courses asynchronously online per semester. And the thing about our online program is that we have synchronous components to it. So the courses are there, they exist online, but our teachers are active in the course every single day, right? We also require our online students to take one hour a week to synchronously connect with their peers in, in each course and their instructor. So we call them an hour evening webinar that the students participate. Mm -hmm. We also, especially for our lab-based courses, our science courses, invite all of our students to campus for one weekend out of a semester to do labs and to meet each other and to meet their instructor. So while it is asynchronous, it is a very, it, there are synchronous components that really distinguish our online high school program from really any other high school online program in the nation, I believe. We don't offer a, a diploma, but we do, again, our program is a supplemental program. So we offer courses and we give credit for these courses to our, um, our students who are in our online program. So do these students, yeah, so do they apply through their local schools and that's how the, the teaching is facilitated? Or are they applying from kind of like their independent status? Like what does that partnership look like? So the online program is a partnership between us and the student and their families, right? So this is, so we have students okay. who are homeschooled. We have students who are, who are from private schools and public school students all applying as an individual and their families applying to get into this, the North Carolina School of Science and Math online program. So this is, this is our school partnering directly with the student and their families. The interactive video conferencing part of our distance education is our NCSSM partnering with the local school. So we will send out our, our catalog of, of online courses or our catalog of IBC courses to all superintendents across the state and counselors across the state. And there's an open registration where they can enroll students during a, a certain period of time to meet the prerequisites for all of our courses. And then once the student gets in, we partner with the, with the school to say, okay, you need to provide these textbooks. Here's the technology you need to connect. And that technology, we have a broadcast operations manager who walks them through how to connect. 15 years ago, that process was extremely complicated, cost probably ten dollars to $20,000. Uh, today, a laptop and a, and a, with a built-in mic and a camera, you could do it for less than a hundred bucks. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, it really has opened up opportunities for students who would, would not otherwise have access to some of these honors level, AP level, academically rigorous courses. It opens up an opportunity for them to take these courses, which is one of the primary reasons why our interactive video conferencing courses exist to partner with primarily with schools in low resourced, usually high poverty and more rural regions of the state to mm -hmm. give them access to a highly qualified teacher and the curriculum. And they're, they're not paying anything for any of these programs, by the way, totally free for all students. Mm -hmm. The distinction between IBC and online, primarily there, there, there are two real distinctions. One is the 
IBC is synchronous and online is asynchronous. And then two, IBC is interactive video conferencing is, is primarily for public school students. And online is open mm-hmm. because, again, it's our partnership with individual students and their families. It is open to homeschool, private school, charter school, et cetera. So, so how did you end up on the administrative side of, of distance education? as well as, you know, in the classroom right. teaching. So I've been teaching uh, in the interactive video conferencing classroom for 17 years. And so I have a lot of experience teaching in that, in that mode. And I think for me, after doing it for this long and, and seeing at times the representation in terms of the, and, and, the, and the demographics of the population of students that we were serving, particularly in both the video conferencing and in the online program, was not fully representative of the entire state of North Carolina in terms of the racial demographics. Were you finding that minority students were, were under, underserved in this space? Is that what you're saying? So underrepresented minority students were indeed underrepresented. And so okay. that group includes Hispanic American students, African American students, and Native American students. And so with that, I saw that, one, I had an interest in increasing that representation, and two, as an administrator, I could perhaps have more influence in increasing that representation. And so when an opportunity arose for me to step into a leadership role, and what was very important for me was to be able to continue to teach, and that opportunity, you know, presented itself, I was very, very grateful. And and so some of the recruitment of some of the schools that we serve and some of the students playing a a small role in that. So I'm grateful for being able to do that and also, you know, have a a strong kind of foot in the door of the classroom and being able to shape sort of how teaching uh, happens in this this venue, being on the team that supports teachers who teach in our in our division, mm-hmm. because if many times a teacher is, is tired, thinking that their primary teaching assignment would be a face-to-face one, and so mm-hmm. when we've asked students to or asked teachers to teach in our distance education division, there's been a lot of mentoring and coaching that's been needed to help these teachers kind of get best prepared uh, to to help them be successful and their students, and so I uh, play a role in, in helping support teachers transition or, yeah, transition into teaching distance education while they still teach face-to-face. Which brings us back to when you are setting out to connect with students who are kind of scattered all over the state and you're training teachers to connect with students that aren't in the classroom with them. What kind of, what goes through your mind? Like, what are you planning for and preparing both yourself when you're creating a new classroom or individual students for you know, for an online course or when you're training your teachers on how, how to build that connection, even when they're not in the same physical space. Yeah, I think my, my first thing is, uh, is to remind myself and the teachers that I work with that we teach students and not content. I think it's very easy, especially in a distance education environment where students aren't in front of you, to think about your content, think about your own scholarship and what interests you. But there's so many ways, strategies for our teachers to get to know students well so that they can 
primarily focus on the students and figuring out who they are, that we can think about how to best convey and give information to them and inspire them in that scholarship. And so teaching students, not content, trying to minimize the distance by getting to know students well and giving them multiple opportunities to get to know me well or get to know you well as the instructor and in the assignments and the activities, just always being student-centered and not teacher-centered, not thinking about Mm -hmm. what you want to teach, but thinking about how students best learn. And that is so critical. I mean, I, I would argue that that's critical in any learning environment, but I would say it's even more critical in the distance education environment because teachers can be more prone to just think about themselves and the material when students aren't in front of them. Student-centeredness is, is key. That makes that makes so much sense. I love that. You can teach students, not content. That's fantastic. So the, I mean, the logistics of this, some of the challenges mm-hmm. of this, of, of distance education, seem, seem pretty high. So why is it valuable? Why is this something that is worth you know, your time and your attention and institutional resources and focus? I think to teach in this In distance education, you have to be very missional, driven by mission. And I think even more so than just being in a traditional school where your mission may be to teach bright students and to inspire them to learn, right? I think in in distance education, our mission is all about access and equity. Hmm. And that, that motivates us. That gets us out of bed in the morning, thinking about how can we make the great things that happen here in our brick and mortar school among our 680 students who live on our campus from around the state, how can we make what's so special about being in this physical space accessible to as many students as possible across our state? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, it is thinking about that, thinking about the, 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 the digital tools, the learning technology that we can make available to these students. And, and if it's not available, how can we you know, bridge those gaps to make to make it available. And I think that's that's a part of the mission of our school, not not just to educate the best and the brightest in the state, but to advance education, K-12 education in the entire state. And so our mm. our mission is accomplished through the outreach arm that is represented by distance education. So I, I don't think we are true to our mission and true to our school if we are not deeply invested in distance education. That's great. So if you were to kind of imagine out 10, you know, 10, 15 years from now, Joni Rosen's perfect distance education program, what would it look like? I think we, we would have a, a truly engaged, mutually beneficial partnership with all of the low resource, high poverty schools across the state. And by mutually beneficial, I would argue that this the relationship isn't just NCSSM distance education stepping in and saving the day, but it is NCSSM distance education figuring out who we're serving and learning from the school districts and learning from the communities, learning from the families, being shaped by that, and then taking all of that and, and figuring out how to best educate all the students in their region. So that would be ideal for the video conferencing that we would have a strong 
mutually beneficial partnerships with all of the high poverty rural school districts in the state. For online, 10, 15 years from now, I would want us to even reach out beyond the state of North Carolina, maybe even beyond the, the United States with priority to North Carolina students, but to give our North Carolina students in our online program exposure to students from all over the world and building in more global competencies, potentially even credentialing some of the learning that takes place online and potentially offering a diploma online. If we are not there, maybe 10 to 15 years from now, we will be there. And then I think the techniques of thinking about learning objectives, thinking about assessments, thinking about how learning technologies can be used to advance education. 10 to 15 years from now, I would hope even sooner than that, we could take those skills and and techniques and strategies and apply them in the face-to-face teaching and learning as well. And so all teaching would generally people call like there's face-to-face teaching and then there's distance education teaching. And then there's a blend of the two where you have some face-to-face aspects and some distance education. And people call that sort of a hybrid model. 10 to 15 years from now, all teaching and learning should be hybrid. And if it's truly student-centered, a child should be able to have the, the type of teaching that is best suited for them in their circumstance. So whether that's face-to-face 100% of the time or face-to-face 70% and online 30%, all education should have aspects of the hybrid learning. And to be able to help make that happen and coach teachers through that and coach learners through that would be amazing. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for talking with me today and for sharing your experiences. Um, It was great to have you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the first episode of The Long Way Time. I'm aiming to share these conversations once a week and hope you'll join in next time. If you like this podcast, please share and subscribe. And if you didn't, maybe keep it to yourself. But seriously, if you have thoughts about the podcast or ideas about a person we should feature in the episode, 